We're building yeah. wealth. Our net worth is increasing. And that increase in net worth does what? It buys us more cash flow, yes. which is more income, um, on which we are taxed at a lower rate than everybody else. Mm-hmm. So learn how to play the game. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high octane boost of full on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Get Real Podcast. Ron Phillips here, Heather Marchant here from somewhere in an undisclosed location across the country at some. You know, yes, I'm outside of Memphis today, so. Some random office outside of Memphis, location not to be disclosed. We want to be you going over there and bothering Heather while she's playing. So um, actually, you're going to go around it today and, um, and do what you've been doing, right? And meet with some, some of our suppliers, um, you know, some support staff, and then drive by one of our uh, new construction areas, right? Yeah, I'm super pumped because I'm going to go take some video for clients of new construction properties that we have. All right. So Heather's going to be a little echoey today because she is in like a bunker or something. I'm pretty (laughs) sure this is their like tornado shelter room because it's like all cinder block, but it's their their conference room. So this is awesome. It's so awesome. Okay. So today, as promised, we are going to continue with our two a week, and this is actually going to be our first week with two. So if you missed last week, um, Heather and I decided that we were going to do two a week for about five weeks. And we are going to do like an investing, I don't know, like an intensive investing thing, right? So all about yeah, all about rental properties, kind of a series. So we started that last week, and this week we're going to continue, and then we're going to drop another episode, I don't know, Wednesday or Thursday. I haven't decided yet, but one of those two days we're going to drop an extra bonus episode, and um, then we'll be back on our normal scheduled Monday. All right, we're going to do this for a little bit. Don't get spoiled, because as soon as the series is over, Heather and I are going to go back to normal, because That's right. neither one of us really want to work that hard. Okay. All right. So today, Heather, today, Heather, we're going to talk about um, rental properties kind of versus everything else. And then we're going to dive into what you would want to look for. And this is really fun. I enjoy this part. Yeah. All the time. Mostly because I get to beat up on, you know, stocks and things that I don't like. (laughs) To all of you out there who love stocks, don't, don't send us hate mail. Stocks are fine. I just don't understand them very well. And so because of that and because they just don't have all the cool things that rental properties do, I don't really like them. All right. So let's get started. Let's define for everybody what invest actually means, Heather, because I think some people may have some misconceptions about what it actually means to invest. Yeah. I think one great example I've always shared is that you called yourself an investor when you were flipping and rehabbing properties and instead you were just replacing your income with another, uh, with another job. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you have to constantly work, then it is not an investment, right? Because invest like the dictionary definition of invest is to expend money with the expectation of achieving profit or material result by putting it into financial plans, shares, property, or by using it to develop a commercial venture. So the key to that being 
it's your money, right? We're going to expend money. It didn't say expend your time running around, putting flyers on doors. It didn't say get a hammer and go and, you know, rehab houses. Nothing wrong with any of that. Nothing wrong with any of that. Just understand what it is, right? It is, um, it's either a job or it's a business, one of the two, but it's not an investment, all right? Um, and so it's a really good way to go out and earn a lot of money so that you can invest. And most of the people that I know who are really successful at this, and Heather, you, you know this as well as I do because they keep some of the properties that they're gonna send us, mm -hmm. they invest in, in their trade, right? So they invest and hold properties, which, you know, sometimes we don't like because we prefer to have them for you guys, but you know, we'd be kind of hypocrites if we didn't, you know, back them up on, on investing themselves. Yeah. And um, for, for me, I think a lot of the key distinctions too are about you're not trading hours for dollars at this, at no. the investment side of things. So I talk to a lot of clients that misunderstand this. So um, self-managing your own properties and is still in some way trading hours for dollars. Um, so there are, there are some distinctions that I like to make with people like, well, is that really investing your money? If you have it, it where you're going by the property every week and yeah. Yeah. And how do you, how do you, how do you stop working in that scenario? If that's the, if that's what you're building for yourself, then how do you ever stop? Yeah. You, you can't ever stop if you're the one who has to run everything. And that goes back to, you know, what we've talked about literally ad nauseum, which is leverage, 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 leverage. And if you are doing everything yourself because you're the greatest at it, which you very well may be, but if you're not leveraging um, the time, talents, abilities, and everything else of other people, then you're going to be stuck doing everything yourself. And good hell, that's lonely. You know, anyway, yeah. you, you don't want to do that anyway. So let's, let's kind of talk about the difference between, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, name your investment um, other than real estate, because real estate has some pretty cool things. And I love this part because I don't know how long ago it's been, but this just epiphany came to me and I was like, in order for a stock to do what real estate does, I mean, describing a stock in the way that you would describe real estate really makes it stand all by itself. And so I want you guys to take a second and let this just digest what I'm going to say here, because I'm going to talk about a stock and then I want you guys to picture this stock and, you know, Heather jump in anytime and, and expand on this stuff as we're going through. But this, I want you to go to your stock broker and I want you to ask for a stock. Okay. But this stock is a unique stock okay? because <laughs> in order for this, in order for you to buy it, he has to come up with one that you can own a hundred percent of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So not a portion, all of it. Okay. So you want to buy all of the stock. In addition, you have to personally be able to affect the value of the stock. So like I, I, that one is so interesting because you, when you invest in a stock, you literally are at the mercy of other people to do their job. <laughs> yes. They, they could do a great job or they could get on Twitter and say something stupid and you're then the company's dead. Literally, it could be something as simple as getting on Twitter and saying something stupid, company over, investment gone. 
right? Mm -hmm. So you have to have the personal ability to make a change, right? So you have, and I guess if you own 100% of the stock, you might be able to do that, okay? So you have to have all of these, not one of them by itself, right? So you could buy 100% of the stock in a company. That actually could happen if you had the money to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and then you probably could personally affect the value. But if you can't buy 100% of it, then you certainly can't personally affect the value because other people are in charge, like Heather was saying. Um, third, it's got to have a, a really good paying dividend. It's got to have a high dividend, okay? And that's the cash that it produces on an annual basis, quarterly basis, whatever it is, okay? But in addition to the dividend, it has to also produce a really high potential for growth. Usually, those don't go together. Mm -hmm. Usually, if you have a high producing dividend, it kind of doesn't grow. And if it's a high growth stock, it usually doesn't have a dividend at all. And even if it does, it's not very much, okay? Then it, this starts to get kind of tricky okay, because you got to have all of that stuff. Plus, I want to be able to buy it on payments <laughs> at a fixed rate over 30 years. Just when you buy the whole stock, you get to, you know, make payments on all your stock instead of yeah. paying for them up front. Yeah, and I don't want to chase the payment around, so I want it fixed <laughs> for 30 years and, you know, right now I want it at like three and a half percent. <laughs> Why not? Right. Um, and, and then while I'm asking for the moon, why don't I just go ahead and say, and I also, I, I want to be rather leveraged. I want to be into this thing, you know, with maybe 20% of my own money and leverage 80% or 75%. Right. The best part of this whole deal is that not only do I want all of that, Heather, I just want someone else to pay for it. So all of the payments that I have, I just want someone else to pay for it. Is it so much to ask? Like, come on. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and then, you know, just as a little cherry on top, I want this stock to also produce some massive tax benefits. That way I don't have to pay taxes on the cool dividend or on the growth. That's all I want. It's not that hard. <laughs> that's all I want. So I just, you know, have you guys pictured the stock? Has everybody pictured the stock now? Because I know Heather's pictured the stock. I mean, obviously, because <laughs> it exists out there. I'd give you guys the ticker, but then you guys would buy all of it on payments over 30 years and have somebody else pay for it. Listen, this doesn't exist, guys, but this is how, you know, people start to, they try to compare real estate to the stock market and it doesn't, there is no comparison. You cannot take this and compare it to that. They're not on the same playing field, not even close. It's not even on the, in the same league as real estate. Yeah. So can you make money in the stock market? Absolutely. I'd be a fool to tell you you can't. I know a lot of people who do. Can you make money when it's going up, when it's going down, when it's going sideways? Yes, absolutely you can. Do those things both match real estate? So stocks and, and real estate? Yes. Can you make money in real estate going up? Yes. Can you make it going down? Yes. Can you make it going sideways? Yes. So those things are all true challenges. Yeah. The rest of it is not true. I mean, not even a little bit. So 
you just start laughing halfway through the list, I think, like I did. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, so now that we've kind of flogged that just a little bit, it's important. So, I mean, real estate kind of stands alone in my mind. Obviously, I am um, biased. I love real estate. But I think when you look at it through that lens, it's pretty difficult to make an argument that any of the other invest investments are better. Now, should you have all of your eggs in one basket? No. But should you have a bunch of them in the basket that you can control and manage yourself? Yeah, I think you'd be a fool not to, okay? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about returns. Heather, what are the four returns of real estate? Oh man, it's so good. Um, so cash on cash return is just your cash flow. So the property above and beyond expenses is going to give you a profit at the end of the day. So I just spoke with a client just yesterday um, who, and I told him, I said, this is a really common thing. I said, okay, you own rental property. And I said, how much does it cash flow? And they, oh, they tell me the rent. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Cash on cash return is not the rent. It is rent minus expenses and that's your return. So that's your cash return on investment or cash on cash return. Um, then you have your principal reduction, which is your tenant paying down your mortgage. That, that one that Ron mentioned of uh, someone else making the payments for you, which is I mean, pretty awesome. And most people, they forget that that's a return. I mean, someone is <laughs> yeah. literally paying your investment off. Like they're paying for it. Happens mm -hmm. every year. Whether whether there's look, whether you break even on cash flow or not, someone is paying your mortgage down. All right, yep. and, and they're happy to do it. Like they're giving you're giving them a place to live, right? So it's, it's I, I, was, I just yes, I get uh, notifications from one of our property managers when applications are filled out, and I saw one come through this last week where the tenant was like begging to live there. You know what I mean? Like you're serving someone else and then they pay off your debt for you. It's pretty cool. Um, yep. The third one, your tax deductions, your depreciation, you can write off on your taxes. Mm -hmm. um, you can have the 27 and a half year depreciation schedule where you're writing off the structure, not the land. And it, it's, it's decent, right, Ron? I mean, it's like yeah. single family home, five, $700 a year. That's pretty pretty awesome. Um, and tax savings, sorry. And then um, your appreciation. So the property appreciating in value. So there's four of them. Crazy thing is that they all happen simultaneously. Yeah. And you can leave it at that. You can leave it at that. Find me a stock that has a cash return that appreciates in value and that has principal reduction because I'm able to buy it on, on payments. Again, somebody else is paying for it for me and it produces tax deductions. You might be able to get three of the four, but you're not going to get four of the four. Mm -hmm. And it would take a very special one to get, even get three of the four. Yeah. And most of those are closed where you, you know, us, the normal peasants can't <laughs> actually get them, right? Those go to insiders. So how do you calculate the return? Uh, so again, this is going to take uh, an imagination. If you already know how to do this, then it's you know simple. But if you don't know how to do this, then it's really important to understand how. Um, so let's go back to the cash flow one. So it, if your property cash flows $1,000 a year and you put $10,000 down, then your return is $1,000 divide, divided by the 10,000, which gives you a decimal, two decimals. We go back to, you know, I don't know if that's elementary or, or 
middle school math. I'm not sure exactly when you learned that one, but the, you move the decimal places. You probably do because you have kids doing it right now, right? My, my fifth graders are only doing fractions. They still haven't learned that. So Okay. No, it's middle school. Yeah, probably. Middle school math, you move the decimal place over two places and it'll give you a percentage, right? Now, if, when you do that, that's 10%. Okay, if you divide, you divide those two, it's 10%. So all you're doing is you're taking your income or the return and you're dividing it by the investment or what you put into the property. Okay, that gives you your return. So it's a very simple calculation. People overthink it. And you can do that on all of the four. So whatever your tax savings are, you divide that by what you invested in the property and it gives you your return. So each one of these, you're able to calculate what your return is. You add them all up. That gives you your total return on the property for the year, which is disgusting if you actually add those up. <laughs> it seems like it's fake, like it's not possible. Um, I will... I will say when people don't understand the cash on cash return, another way of explaining the same thing is to say it's what percentage of your money you're getting back every year from your investment, right? So it's, it's, it's sometimes people have a hard time understanding the formula, but yeah, that, that helps sometimes. The other thing that people have a hard time understanding, I remember having this conversation with uh, one of our clients that was in our, in our building or close to our building. He, he would stop by and he would say, I just don't get this leverage piece. I don't understand because in his world, the investment world, you pay cash for everything and then your return. He knew how to calculate the return. The challenge was he didn't understand. He would come in and he said, my, my return's low. It's not double digits, it's low. Then we go through it again. We're like, look, you didn't, you didn't pay a hundred thousand dollars for the property. I mean, you did, but you only put up your cash. You only put $20,000 into the property. So your investment isn't a hundred thousand; it's twenty thousand. And he would go, "Oh, yeah, 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 yeah." And then he would leave, and then it would go right back. Right? He would come back. I don't understand. How, so part of the problem is people don't understand that because the property is a hundred thousand dollars, you're only putting because of leverage. Remember, we're only putting twenty percent in or twenty thousand dollars in. So if I make a thousand dollars in cash flow that year. It's not a hundred thousand dollars divided by. It's not the thousand divided by a hundred thousand. It's a thousand divided by twenty thousand, mm -hmm. right? It's completely different, and so that's a really, really important thing to keep in mind because, especially when you start to get into appreciation, because people know because they hear on the news what appreciation rates are. You know, sometimes they're 3%, sometimes they're 8%. Very rarely they're double digits, but sometimes they are, but they're really not ever 20. I mean, they don't get to be 25% except for in 2006 and seven in certain markets. It's very rare for that to happen. Yeah. And yet when you look at a pro forma, they're almost always above 20%. Heather, I mean, yeah. people go, well, how, that's, it, it's, not even, it's not even believable because appreciation rates are not 25%. But the appreciation rate wasn't 25%, it was 5%. So how did we get 25% return? Well, it's because 5% is $5,000 on a $100,000 property. Mm -hmm. $5,000 divided by $20,000 is what? 25%. I mean, folks, it, 
sometimes sometimes it takes just sitting down and actually looking at the math for a minute to understand how powerful this is. Because if you could if you get five percent return by appreciation on a hundred thousand dollar property, but you only put twenty thousand dollars in, your return is twenty five percent. I just I'm, I'm I'm pausing for effect. I want that to sink in. Think in. And that is why the numbers look so staggering, because when you start to stack these things up, your total return is so substantial that people look at it and they go, there's not, that doesn't, there's no way that's true. Yeah. And then if they do it, Heather, like one year or two years in, they go, what the heck happened? Yeah. I got, where did all this money come from? Well, yeah. it, I mean, it happens every year, it just keeps happening. Right. Well, I can, give, I can give an example from my portfolio that I've shared in here before on the podcast is I paid $70,000 for a house that's now worth about 110, but I only, my down payment on the house was roughly like $16,000, right? So that's insane to pay $16,000 for a house and my tenants paying my debt off for me, right? And so now I have all that equity that I can turn and sell and grow my portfolio. Yes. So the one the one investment because of growth, cash flow, principal reduction, all of that stuff is spawning multiple more yes. without adding any more money of yours. Mm -hmm. And right. it's only been three years since I bought it. Like, it's not like I've held it for 20 years and that's why it's worth so much more. So and that folks, that is what I saw a post on a buddy of mine. I think it was, I think it was Tom Kroll, who, if you don't know him, you should, you should look him up. Tom's a, Tom's a stud. K-R-O-L, Tom Kroll. He's a stud and he posted this the other day. He said, net worth is the new, oh my gosh, credit score said net worth is the new credit score. And I thought about that for just a second and I thought, and I, my comment was it always has been, people just don't know. Mm. People just didn't know because we've been taught high credit score. And you've seen the posts go around Facebook. People will ask, would you rather have a million dollars in cash? Would you rather have an 850 credit score? Would you rather have, you know, X amount of dollars per, I mean, and, and um, it's amazing to me how many people say, I'd rather have an 850 credit score. Give me the cash. Give me the million in cash right now. I'll create an asset that will create more money than this, you know, however much a month it was. Mm -hmm. And I'll have the asset that continues to increase in value. Both. I'll have all of the above. I'll have everything. And I don't care what my credit score is. Uh, it's, just, it's beyond comprehension. And so when he said that, I'm thinking, yeah, it, we're, we're investing, making sure that the properties cash flow, Heather, but we're building wealth. We're building yeah. wealth. Our net worth is increasing. And that increase in net worth does what? It buys us more cash flow, yes. which is more income, um, on which we are taxed at a lower rate than everybody else. Mm -hmm. So learn how to play the game. Yeah. I mean, I, on my rental property portfolio, I pay almost no taxes on my cash flow that I make from my property because of all the yeah. write-offs against it. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. Um, it is one of the most tax advantage investments you can buy. And so, let's talk really quickly about in the time we have left. Let's talk about what you know, what kind of properties there are, and um, you know, and how they work. What the pros and cons are to each one of these, right? So, um, Heather, talk us through like single family homes. Yeah. What's what's the cool so pros and cons? Single family homes. 
Single family homes and should be in most of our clients' portfolios, um, in my opinion, just because they're easy to buy and sell. So if you ever, I tell a lot of my clients, if you ever have a life-changing event and you need to liquidate quickly, you have your single family homes that you can sell really fast um, if, you, if you were in a bind for whatever reason. Um, so I love starting there with new investors. Very rarely do we have a new client come and talk to us and we say, you know what you should do? You should buy a 20 unit apartment building. You've <laughs> never done one before. <laughs> first investment, why not? Let's just do 300 because, yeah. you know. Let's go yeah. all in, let's do this. Yeah, I, it's very rare um, that anyone starts with multifamily unless it just depends on their particular situation, maybe their tax situation, et cetera. But for the most part, we're starting with a small single family home testing the waters. Um, they're the most desirable for tenants. Uh, I rented for a lot of years when Ron and I first started working together and I rented a basement apartment. And I remember being so excited to have a single family home that was ours to rent with our own backyard and our kids can run around and play without sharing common space. Mm -hmm. So definitely the most desirable. Um, there's a, f a couple cons, I guess, to single family homes that people should be aware of. You get one tenant or one door per purchase. So there's a couple of things that go into that. So if that tenant moves out and, or, or they're not paying rent for whatever reason, then you are coming up with all of the expenses at that time. Um, and you also have um, complications with lending a little bit that you are most people right now as of today's recording you can get 10 conventional mortgages and so 10 single family homes you're using up those mortgage positions fairly quickly um, and then it can that, that can just complicate your ability to scale and to purchase more rental properties so right. it's good to just be aware of the limiting factors so I mean, there used to be there used to be these package loans, right? And they've kind of gone away. Like you, it's very difficult to find them where you could pool a bunch of properties, single-family homes together. You can get fantastic financing for them, and you can't do that really anymore. Um, most of the players in that space are no longer in that space. So you know that may change, but for right now, it's really really hard to scale. Mm -hmm. um, so then there's two to four family units, right? So we, we move into those and you've got different pros, you got different cons. They're easy to buy and own too, um, same as the single family homes, up to four units. You know, they're bigger, the bigger for purchase price, but you get more doors, right? So if, if you buy a fourplex and a tenant moves out, well, you're 25% you're vacant, not 100% vacant, mm -hmm. right? So if you have, and you have one loan for those four doors. So if you're trying to scale, it's easier to scale than, you know, Heather was just talking about the single family homes because you still have, that's a conventional mortgage, which means you can literally get 40 units on conventional mortgages instead of 10, you can, you can leverage even more. And, um, and so more doors, less vacancy, um, you know, more doors you have, less of vacancy hurts you. Um, but the concept is that they're, you know, they're significantly more expensive. Obviously you're buying a builder, bigger building, um, all things being equal, they're, they're probably about four times as expensive. The loans are a little less attractive. You got to put 25% down instead of 20% down. So you have to come up with more money, which hurts your, and the more money you come up with, the less, less leveraged you are, which means 
the lower your return is, right? So you have to you have to find something that actually compensates for that. And they're the opposite. I mean, you have a really nice one, but I, if most most tenants would prefer to live in a house than in a fourplex. Most, you know, some some actually prefer it because then they don't have to mow the lawn or anything like that. But for the most part, that that's going to be true. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, and I think just generally speaking, we're going to spend a little bit more time on this in one of the other uh, episodes about what exactly you should look for in each one of these things and the different types of real estate, A, B, and C class um, properties and things like that in another um, episode. But let's just recap really quick. I, I, th I think the most important things, Heather, that we talked about today are just how powerful is real estate, which hopefully at this point everybody knows. Mm -hmm. If if you didn't before today, you should now because we went over it pretty in, in detail and we laughed at stocks, which was a lot of fun. Um, we went over calculating return on investment, how to do it, how important it is. The other, I think in our first one, we went over the rule of 72. So now you can see not only how important is the rule of 72, but you can also see that you get to use the rule of 72 four times per investment to see really... Um, what it looks like to double your money. We talked about the different people are attractive. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> and then we just talked about the different types of, uh, you know, smaller properties. We didn't really jump into apartments. Don't people really have time for that. It's a completely different deal. And apartments are just a, they're just a whole different concept. We'll spend a little bit of time talking about those in another one of the episodes, but this series look for, um, look for the next one this week should be Wednesday or Thursday. Um, once we figure it out this week, we'll tell you exactly what it is every week moving forward. And then we're going to keep doing this for about the next five weeks. And keep in mind, you'll probably have questions that pop up while we're doing it. And know that this series builds upon each other, the, all of the episodes. So while we didn't go into details on financing, we covered financing today. We will cover financing in greater detail in another episode as part of the series. So. Absolutely. So, wow. I, I heard, I had some static. It was like I was back in the military. I don't know what was going on right then. Uh, <laughs> kind of flashback. Um, okay. So everybody remember, uh, if you, if you like our episodes, we really appreciate you guys leaving us a written reviews We're we're getting a lot of those. It's giving us more traction. We're reaching more people, which is so much fun. We get your comments and they're so good. So if you have questions, obviously this is going to build on each other, but email them in invest yeah. at rpcinvest.com. Email them in. Make sure you share this with everybody. You can share it on Facebook or wherever you want, Twitter, and, and get the word out there. Um, in addition to that, I want you guys to remember from our first episode of this series that what you do today will affect you, not tomorrow. It affects you like a year from now. So make sure you get out there and make something happen today. All right? Till next time, guys. Get out there and make something happen. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.